Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress, a podcast conversation about our men and women in law enforcement and the challenges they face. With lead stress coach and founder of Under the Shield Foundation, Susan Simmons, and Arizona police officer, Ace Walker. Thank you to Universal MMA and Fitness for sponsoring today's episode. You can find their info in the description below. Hey everybody, Ace here. Welcome to episode 12 of Fight in Progress. Today we're going to be talking to retired Colonel Jim Cockrell from Alaska State Troopers. Uh, He was with them for over 30 years in his service and he joins us today to have a little bit of an interview. Uh, Today was a little bit different. We just started our conversation and it was so good. We didn't even do an intro together. We just started talking and I had the recorder on so we're going to jump right in from when we started talking. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us. The, the, honestly, the only thing I know about Alaska is what I've seen on the Discovery Channel, yeah. like the the fishing shows or like when they followed the state troopers. Right. I actually yeah, love that show. I did too. Mm-hmm. That was, that I was the one that took us off the air on that. Yeah. Because. Huh? Why? Basically, um, I felt we needed. a lot of open scrutiny. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that. I think all in all, it, it actually deflect, um, um, it actively reflected what the troopers did, what we stood for, how we contacted people because i think that's stood us apart from a lot of law enforcement agencies Absolutely. that one-on-one oh, yeah. contact with the public but you know right became when i became the the colonel in 2013 i mean we just lost our helicopter and lost the trooper our oh, uh, civilian right. pilot and a person that we were rescuing and then right. <clears throat> shortly after that we lost a bpso in one of our villages and then shortly after that, we had two troopers shot and killed in an ambush in a small village. So at that point in time, the trooper show is still running. Uh-huh. And I just felt we needed to get back to basics, focus on what we do right. Um, also, you know, trooper, it, it, the trooper show started focusing too much on individual troopers that we had. which became, Making became them a star kind of basic thing. Basic celebrities, and I don't feel yeah. that's part of law enforcement sure and, and also i think there was a threat to their families and stuff because they mm-hmm. people were recognizing them at the airport for sure at in you know in their towns hometowns and they're small towns so it, yeah so they usually when the person's in uniform it they don't the public usually doesn't recognize them out of uniform yeah they just see the badge seen them on tv right. all the time so i just decided to make i made a decision at that point in time the show had run five years yeah very popular in the beginning it helped us with recruitment but um but what we were when we were tracking our recruitment numbers to the folks that were viewing the show, you know, um, we weren't really getting any quality applicants out of it. Basically, we were getting people watching the show at night. We were kind of joking about it, drinking <laughs> beer at their mom's house right. and decided, let's be an Alaska State Trooper. I can be a star. <laughs> we can be a star. And then we had, you know, all the background, because they're all out of state. Sure. So all the time and effort, our recruitment um, section was focused on it it just wasn't worth it are you comfortable talking about that on air yeah i think that would be a cool part now did it start with you there whole thing as a teaser yeah no i thought we already were in it we're recording it was it was it was um under it was underway it was ongoing we were probably about year two and a half three when i became the colonel okay and frankly i'd never even watched it till i became the colonel <laughs> and, uh, then you thought you better see what's well, yeah, happening what's the point you're doing it <laughs> yeah right right you know and, and it caused you know there was you know there's a lot of work goes along with um produ- having, sure. having a show yeah. i mean you know our pio would screen ep- every episode sure they would send screen notes to me and the deputy commissioner so we would review it before it went on air just to make sure there wasn't anything that right. we didn't really want um on on air oh, yeah whatever um 
a lot of extra work. There is. I will say the production company that it wasn't Nat Geo, that there was a production company that was separate from Nat Geo, but Nat Geo um, um, aired the, you know, aired the, the episodes, but they were really good to work for. And when I made the decision to, um, to stop the show at, at year five, um, and the commissioner agreed with me at that point in time, my boss, and they actually flew up to try to have us continue with the show. And, um, fortunately I felt that we stayed firm with our decision and, um, and we haven't filmed an episode since. How did the troopers feel about it? Were they, they disappointed were or were they tired? Of it? You know, and that was part of my my concern at that time is with everything that happened leading up to that, what the general feeling that they were getting tired of it too. And then if you look at in the beginning of the episodes or the years, I mean, they spent a lot of time out in rural Alaska. And I think mm-hmm. for the Alaska state troopers, that's, that's our foundation is rural yeah. Alaska, not yeah. our more urban patrol areas, but we were focused on providing um, quality service to rural Alaska and the, the folks and and um, corporations up there felt that we were negatively, um, or not we, the show was showing them at a bad light because most mm. of the stuff that we were dealing with was alcohol related. Which sure. Is, yeah, alcohol uh, and drugs. Drugs, but you know, in rural Alaska, that's that's a that's fact of life. Yep. Almost yep. all, you know, we our 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 deaths are all related to alcohol and some drugs, which have filtered their way up to the up to our villages. Well, I think it's similar to the reservations. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking the same thing, and uh, that is a common thing. I think you yeah, have. Yeah, there's there's for sure there's a like an attitude of almost it's like they know it's a problem, but they're also I don't know if it's shame. I, I, I suppose it must be, but it's it's kind of like yeah, we know that that's an issue, but we don't really want to broadcast that that's our big issue. Right. Um. So they they get kind of uncomfortable about it when they have meetings and stuff like that. It's it's an uncomfortable thing for them to talk about. I don't think they like addressing it. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Well, I don't think I would either. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things I was fascinated about in talking to your dad um, when they when I first moved here, and I have to I have to laugh and say, all the cops that helped me move into this house, um, soon after your mom and dad came down, and, uh, of course, I met them, and I couldn't wait to call the guys and go, y'all are going to believe who I moved in next door to. And they're like, Susan, you're the only person I know who can pick a house in the whole East Valley and wind up next door to people in law enforcement yeah. um, like that. Not not like the chief in Gilbert, but, you know, good grief, because I think you were already the colonel at that point when they moved in. And then, of course, his being a retired trooper. And we're, we're going to get him on the show. I, I want his whole history. We should do just like a big round table. With well, everybody I, in a, oh, man, that'd be a riot. If his dad were here, we would have him here. They yeah. come in next weekend. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, one of the things that did fascinate me in talking to your dad about the troopers, because I know at one time he tried to get me up there to do some training for y'all, but it's just almost impossible because everybody is so spread out. And he was talking about, what, there's 200 to 300 troopers in the whole state? Of Alaska, that's about right. When I um, became Jeez. the colonel, we had 328 um, <laughs> positions, trooper positions, um, which we were we had about um, 300 of those filled, and that doesn't include our wildlife troopers. We have about 85 wildlife troopers. Now, what's the difference? How do you differentiate between the two? Okay, we have two divisions in 
you know, we'll call it two divisions within the troopers. Not technically correct, but it's the easiest way to explain it. One is our wildlife troopers. Um, essentially, um, they're Alaska State troopers. They go through the same training, but they're our game wardens. Okay. Um, the, the colonel of the wildlife division also is responsible for all our vessels. We have a pretty big vessel fleet, including our biggest vessel, which is 165 foot. Jeez. That wow. patrols Bristol Bay um, or um, patrols our crab fisheries. And then we also have a fairly large aircraft section, and the wildlife um, colonel takes care of that. Oh, yeah, and we have about 40 um, aircraft. That includes one King Air, two um, Cessna caravans, 208s, uh, two A-Star helicopters, and then I think three Robertson helicopters. The rest are smaller aircraft. Do you know trucks. if they're hiring? Um, we're always hiring. Or they are always hiring. I, I can tell that you. sounds like a riot. See, you're thinking job, and I'm thinking Shamie's not still colonel when we need aircraft transportation <laughs> somewhere. We'll just call the Alaska State Troopers. So are, the, are those few hundred, like anywhere from 200 to 300, it sounds like, is that supplemental to like local law enforcement agencies and like different villages and towns and things like that? Well, we do have small, well, we got the Anchorage Police Department, which is actually the largest um, police department or have the most commission officers than any or any other state or in our state. Oh, wow. Um, they overtook the troopers here um, when I was colonel because we were seeing some massive cuts. Yeah. Um, so we have smaller police departments th- throughout um, the the state. However, their jurisdictions are fairly small other than the Anchorage Police Department. We have right. Fairbanks is another large one, the Juneau Police Department in southeastern. But primarily um, all other areas of the state, we don't have a sheriff's department. We do have one borough that has um, police, and that's up in Point Barrow, up in. The so there's Coast. no such thing as a sheriff we don't in Alaska. A, no, we don't have sheriffs. Did you know in Alaska. that? Interesting. So, um, even though I think in a lot of sense the troopers act a lot like the sheriffs because we handle or we do we handle all rural Alaska. And okay. Almost we got a right. hundred and I think we had about 160, 170 villages that we were responsible for. Yeah. We also manage a VPSO program, Village Public Safety Officer Program. They weren't directly um, under the troopers' umbrella. However, we, we manage that program through grants to mm-hmm. um, local non for nonprofit. Is it agencies. almost like a posse? No, they're um, they're limited commissioned. Um, they oh, have wow. powers of arrest in their villages. Cool. Um, the, the original concept behind it was is to get because again there's no way we, I can put a trooper when I was the colonel I could put a trooper in all the villages that we had right so we would have hub villages like Bethel where, where we would have multiple troopers there and then we'd fly out um, that's one reason we have so many airplanes we'd fly out to our villages to handle um, criminal complaints um, I'm with you that sounds fun yeah man <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at our our villages out out north, especially in the YK Delta, which is the Yukon mm-hmm. Delta out of Bethel, um, I mean we have some of the highest um, rates of sexual assault and domestic violence. And actually, our state unfortunately leads wow. that that category. Of is that a real state. isolated area, Jim? It, most of all, our villages are isolated. Pro- mm-hmm. Primarily, they can get in by by boat or airplane. So what's but, the what's the cause of that? Or I mean. I would assume there's been some kind of discussion on what might be causing that kind of concentration of that type of crime there. Well, yeah, I think if we had the answer, um, I certainly would have been a lot more successful as the colonel. That was one of the areas that I really struggled with is sure. how to, because, um, you know, it was like, and I've attended many um, meetings, including with AFN um, during their conferences and stuff on 
on on violence in the in our villages up there it's um you know, because like I tell them, once the troopers get involved, it's already too late because somebody's a victim, sure. right? Yeah, uh, sure. And then we got to go in the village. <clears throat> and that was <clears throat> part of the, the complaints the villages have. We only come into the villages when we need, we go in to arrest somebody. Right. You don't have enough people to patrol and to stay. Right. right. So um, I don't really have a good answer to why our, our rates of domestic violence are so high. Uh, some of its demographics by our our age group, mm-hmm. our transient population in and out of out of Alaska, but in our villages, um, I, I wish I really had a good answer. I do think the answer isn't with the with law enforcement. Right. The answer is there has to be a cultural shift within the villages to um, t- to solve that problem. Because law enforcement's yeah. not going to do it. We're doing the same thing. You know, I started in 83 and then retired a couple different times and came back. <laughs> but we're pretty much, I mean, we're a lot more effective. Our, yeah. our investigations are a lot more um, thorough. And we essentially get convictions when we have a sexual assault mm-hmm. in our in our rural areas. However, again, it's it's broke because because we're following up. We, somebody's right. a victim or multiple people. Yeah, we're reactionary. We're reactionary, yeah. right. So it has, there has to be a, it has to come within. It can't come from outside. Yeah. Is it a financial? I mean, do you find that most of these are real poverty stricken? There's just not resources. There's not a lot for people to even do. There's a real limited amount of, I mean, you know, here kids can get out and do things and go places. And do you think that has anything to do with it? I think boredom has some things to do with it. Mm -hmm. If you go, and, and I don't, I'm not here to, to cut down the villages and stuff but if you go to some of our villages out west i mean they're essentially like walking into a third world right i mean we're still dealing with honey buckets you know each of the houses because they don't have running water and um electricity is really expensive they might have one store so they live a subsistence lifestyle but in some of those areas it's difficult because a lot of the game is gone or the fish is gone so so I, so it is, so there isn't a lot of resources. Yeah. I mean, there's if they're lucky, they get internet and um, TV, but it's, it's. And I don't know that could be a plus, not a having of, internet and, and television in some situations. And, and you know, Anchorage now is considered our largest village because so many um, f- the folks in rural Alaska have moved to Anchorage moved or Fairbanks. Those are our two. We call them our two largest villages. Yeah. So is it. And it's just my ignorance. When I picture a village, I'm picturing like little shacks. Yeah. Is, I've never been to Alaska. I don't know anything. Is it? Is it just like a different designation? Like we call them cities and, and towns. towns and you guys call them villages? Or are they actually like tiny, tiny little villages with like, you know, 30, 40 people in them? Well, I th- we've had some very large villages um, that have several thousand people. And then we oh, okay. can have some villages that have three or four hundred people. Um, oh, okay. But villages, definition-wise, um, I, th- I think villages fall in the category that's where their ranch testers settle. Oh, sure. And, you know, they might have moved around following the caribou or the moose or the fish um, or, you know, seals or whatever else, or subsistence lifestyle. But that's kind of where they settled. Okay. Sure. And then, um, of course, you know, as Alaska progressed and we got more people, our, our villages stayed, they didn't, they weren't as mobile as they I were see. back. So is it like reservation land or is it just, is it just like a lot of native population? 
it's we don't well we technically we only have one reservation okay and that's in metnakatla which is in southeast alaska okay um that's the only reservation we have in, in alaska so we the you know again this is pretty complex because sure. <laughs> after you know we discovered oil on the north slope um they to get the pipeline down to valdez they made the government federal government made agreements with our um was, they set up corporate native corporations mm -hmm. and so we got um 11 12 um alaska native corporations so they oh, all wow. have land in all these separate regions and usually it's based on what i'll call it tribes what mm -hmm. tribes they are if they're athabascan or the up eskimos up north and okay. stuff so so they have native land but it's not reservation land okay so it's more private land yeah yeah yeah, call it. yeah that makes sense there's in holdings you know based on um the, the individual's um rights at the time and the government gave some res or some in holdings to s a lot of the native um folks up mm -hmm. in some of the areas so the same kind of ideas just they worked it out different right. so how long were you a trooper before you started to move up that chain of command um i was i didn't my first promotion as a sergeant i think or a corporal i think i had 11 years on 11 or 12 and that oh, was wow. pretty normal yeah back then um and then, and then if you looked at my career, I don't know if that's good or bad. I started promoting very quickly, and I always told myself I was never going to promote. But about the time I got to my 11th or 12th year, you know, during the pipeline days mm -hmm. back in the mid-70s, we saw a huge spike in the number of troopers. And then as the pipeline went away and we started losing funding, um, we started losing um, trooper positions. However, those folks, those troopers stayed on. So about the time I got my 10th year those guys were approaching retirement mm -hmm. so most of our command staff and senior sergeant stuff started retiring so it started our upward climb and a, I, i'll say a lot of us several of us ended up promoting fairly quickly mm -hmm. um, just because of that because of the um, retirements of our of our pipeline error right but um, you hear the difference in old school and new school because yeah. old school says pretty quickly at 11 years yeah. around here they're promoting in two and three years and you you know i always remember it used to be you had to do 10 years before you were even remotely considered, considered. Yeah. and now and then it went to five and now it's i've seen some promote at three and you just go these are the babies leading the babies here. This yeah, is I'm coming up on four for any of my command staff listening. If you want to promote me, I'm sure that doesn't sound dangerous at all. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you grew up in a law enforcement family, uh, cause your dad was a trooper pretty much, I guess, since you were born. Right. Correct. Right. Um, and was that just something you were always going to do? I think so. Um, it's just something that I basically, I went to college to wait. Till I got old enough to, to join the troopers i joined the troopers right when i was well once i graduated i was 22 so oh, wow. i hit the streets at 22 um but yeah that was that's young yeah i was young <laughs> that's crazy that's when you get the questions are does your mom know you're yeah you're man. Or, <laughs> yeah that's uh, great that's know, exactly those, those right. type things, so that's great you probably know how that is do you, do you feel like uh so again I, i've only ever been involved with law enforcement i came from california when i was 21 right after i got married and i've been here for just about 10 years. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't fascinated with law enforcement or anything until I came here and I kind of got introduced to it through some friends and sort of fell in love that way. Kind of found my calling that way. Um, but I don't know law enforcement anywhere else. It is, 
law enforcement in Alaska, like, is, do you feel it compares the same, like across the United States, you feel it pretty much all in the same, because I feel like all the crimes are the same, all that stuff is going to be the same, people are the same, the uh, climate's a little different, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you wear a lot more clothes, but it, everything else I'd imagine would be pretty similar, no? Well, I think the basics is the same. I mean, to put together a case, whether it's a sexual assault here or up in one of our villages, right. pretty much the same. Right. Gather the same amount of evidence, do the documentation, the interviews and stuff. I think what's different in, in Alaska and what the troopers do, and, and I've said this many times, I don't think there's another agency in this country that does what the Alaska State Troopers do for the amount of minimum amount of support we get funding-wise and stuff. Yeah. A lot of what we do is coordination, logistics, because we got to get to to a village. I, when I was the colonel, we had a um, double homicide in Shagluck, which has probably maybe 250 people in it. Oh. It's about an hour away from Antioch, our biggest post, which is, again, it's on the Kuskokwim River. And again, in it, we have three troopers stationed there in one airplane. Jeez. However, we could not, you know, we could not make it into to that village. It was middle of the night. Um, on the phone trying to figure out how to get in there, whether military support or um, we couldn't get our King Air in there. They didn't have lights on the runway. Um, so basically the, the villagers captured the suspect. It was a family member wow. and basically locked him up into a, a room with no windows and wow. stood guard till we finally were able to get an airplane and get there. <laughs> wow. But when you, you looked at and the village was very upset with us about sure. not getting there sure. right away. And it's not unusual for us sometimes not to be able to get into a village even on a homicide three or four days later. And mm-hmm. we have a VPO or a VPSO guarding the scene as best as we can. So it's not that unusual. But I was at a later that, well, a couple months later, I was at a AFN, um, Alaska Federation Native Conference mm-hmm. and on doing a panel there and the village brought that up. and. We're really upset with it. I even flew out to the village after that meeting to, to meet with the village, mm. um, t- t- with the elders, to talk about just yeah. the, because it wasn't, we didn't want to go. I mean, right. I, like I told them, we, we had several people up all night trying to figure out how to get there and resolve the, the problem. And um, it's just difficult when you yeah. have weather conditions. It's, sure. If for some reason the runway lights don't um don't come on you can't fly at night and then and we've wrecked several airplanes trying to get into some of these wow. villages and um it was just not worth taking the risk sometimes yeah uh, to kill one of our our guys to try to get into a village to solve a problem yep we're you know we constantly deal with um individuals usually intoxicated running around you know shooting up the village you know and wow here, if we had something like this happen, we'd have a whole SWAT team show up. Yeah, Usually, sure. <laughs> our response is Resources. send two troopers there and um, and try to resolve the problem without, um, you know, killing the, the person. Because usually, you know, and that's one of the things we did change. If we had um, a situation like that and the guy was – usually what happens is, is that they shoot up the village, they run into a, a residence and – sleep yeah. it off hunker down right so if we could get our we call it our cert team but our SWAT team in there basically we just wait them out same if we have two troopers in the village we just kind of coordinate it um that way usually and then wait till they sober up and yeah and then we, we don't have to harm just, them they don't harm anybody else and so backup for a trooper could be hours away if it, he gets into trouble it could be or it could be longer than that it just depends on wow. on the you know on the situation 
we routinely handle domestic violence by ourselves. Wow. As one trooper. There's probably not very many law enforcement agencies, at least in the lower 48, that, that has to do that. Yeah, they teach that that's insanity. <laughs> yeah. right. You know, yeah. I look at the Matsu Valley, which is kind of our urban hub. That's where we train most of our trooper recruits. And it's about the size of West Virginia. And at, on a night shift, we might have four troopers and one sergeant. Golly. And that's probably, <laughs> wow. you know, we're looking at total 80,000 people, maybe 100,000 people. Because I know when I was going through the academy here, I did it with Maricopa County. And one of my RTOs, um, he was talking about how whatever region he worked for Maricopa, his backup was like 30 minutes away. And we were talking about how that seemed like an eternity. So thinking like, we can't get to you till morning. It's like, oh, good God. Like, what, <laughs> or it's Monday. We'll get there Thursday. Right. It, it makes me yeah. think of this. So there was a lesson I learned the hard way when I was, um, I don't know if you're into martial arts at all. I, I did jujitsu uh, a long time ago with one of my sifus that was teaching me. And he, I was rolling with him on the ground. We were wrestling, basically. And I really thought I was doing a pretty good job. Um, and I'm pretty strong for my size. And I thought I was like, for fighting my teacher, I thought I was doing a pretty darn good job. And I was just about to get him. And right as I was about to get his arm into a lock where I was going to win, he looked at me and he says, strength is a great band-aid for bad technique. And then he straightened his arm and then he beat my ass, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so, and, and what I, and so like what I'm thinking is because it sounds like you guys don't, you don't have all the resources like we have down here that you can just snap a finger and get a whole team to appear. Right. So it sounds like it, you lean more on, like you're saying, like logistics, tactics, uh, understanding how you can get resources in certain places because you're so limited. That's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's almost fascinating. Like I almost want to be part of that to learn the lessons that you've learned because I feel like we're not forced to learn those lessons down here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I have to ask too because a good friend of mine who used to be with Montgomery Police Department, um, which is where I actually started under the shield, uh, is now the chief, I don't know if I'm saying this right, in Unalaska? Unalaska. Unalaska. Dutch Harbor, yes. And uh, by the way, Jay, happy birthday. Today is Jay's birthday. His name's Jay King, and he's now the chief of police there. <laughs> and I'm thinking Montgomery to that. I, I think we've probably got a pretty big culture shock, wouldn't you say, Jim? I, I would think so. He's way out there. If you watch the deadliest catch on yeah. the yeah. that's the area that he's at, clear down uh, on the Alaska <laughs> chain. Jeez. So I should, you're telling me I should probably call and check on him. Is that what yeah, you're saying? It can be really challenging to get into that port. So I've been out, out there many times in our King Air. Are there troopers actually assigned in that area? We have one, one wildlife trooper there. There might be two, but... Um, when I left, there was one wildlife trooper there. And again, you know, you, you talk about law enforcement being the same, but I don't think here in Arizona you're dealing with many bears and and uh, yeah. that kind of stuff. I, I assume the, the wildlife troopers are dealing with all kinds of wildlife that we just don't see anywhere else in the country for the most part. Well, they, they stay pretty, you know, busy because if you look at most people come to Alaska for one or two things, that's to fish or to hunt. hunt. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and it's a multi-million dollar industry, our, our guiding industry, and, and even just our sport hunting and fishing industry. So they, um, you know, that's why they have most of the airplanes. And mm -hmm. Primarily, most of them are Super Cubs. And they also have three R-44 helicopters to patrol, not including their their vessel section. Mm -hmm. um, so they, um, they do a really good job um, protecting our resources and, and keeping um, 
essentially keeping that industry going because sure. i think we didn't have that plus the protections that fishing game has fishing game separate they they make the regulations and the troopers enforce the regulations mm-hmm. um how they manage their fisher game I, th- I think i don't think we'd have anything by now do y'all um benefit law enforcement wise do y'all benefit with a training fund that any of that money off of the hunting i know i was uh went up years ago and did a training for uh, Wyoming state troopers. And I was fascinated because it was probably one of the only departments that they had like a half a million dollar surplus in their training budget. And they said a lot of it came from a dollar per ticket and then so much per hunting license because they were really expensive. And I assume they probably are in Alaska also. But was there any type of funding that came back for training for law enforcement from those resources? Not from hunting or fishing licenses, sales, not not in our state. We did we do have essentially if you get, got a state speeding ticket, you get a fifteen dollar um, law enforcement surcharge. And that goes to all law enforcement agencies, not just the troopers. Oh, and, and it gets divided up. Usually what they use what the troopers use that money for is to send troopers to the academy. Um, oh, okay. So and then if you got if you got a misdemeanor, I think it was fifty dollars, and and then a felony, I think it's fifty dollars. How do y'all Usually. do in service? You know, when your troopers are so spread out, because again, that was the big thing when your dad and I were talking about my trying to get up there and do some training. He was like, Susan, you know, they'd have to take you around, and you'd only have a few in each class. Or they have to bring everybody in to one location. How do y'all even do in service? In service is always very difficult. I, I mean, bet. again, when I took over the colonels, we had very little training. Part of it is, again, because we were seeing some pretty big budget um, shortfalls. My first year there, I lost $10 million. Just, oh, golly. You know, that was 32 trooper positions in one year. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, but it is logistically, um, first of all, the commanders don't want to give up their troopers because there's no spare troopers to sure. training. Our training academies in Sitka, so if we do that, we either have to fly them down there with our gear or we have to fly them down commercial. And if we do it in our hub areas like the Matsu Valley or Anchorage, we still have to fly pretty much everybody in. And so our in-services could... Um, usually we don't do one we do several mm-hmm. and move them around a little bit but they're very expensive to do that and then you still got to line up your instructors to to do the yeah. service so it, it's really difficult everything that we do is logistically challenged sure there, and there's a cost yeah. sure. we just can't bring everybody have them all drive in and meet yeah right I mean, yeah it's just yeah. it's just not not possible i mean our furthest post north would be in nome or, or, or Kotzebue, I'm sorry, Kotzebue, where we have approximately five to six troopers. And then on the other end, is down in Prince of Wales Island, down almost to Seattle is kind of where you're at on the Canadian border. How big of like a flight is that? Like how long, how far away are they from each other? Um, well, each other, if we went from, say, Prince of Wales to to Kotzebue, you're probably on, say, Alaska Airlines jet. If they don't fly that way, probably be a a four to five hour flight. Golly. Yeah. Like, we'll just run right over there. Yeah. yeah. Or you can throw them on a Cessna. And what is that, like an eight hour flight? Yeah, we have to gas up several times. And I was going to say, where do you stop to gas up? It's, it's, again, everything that we do is, there, it's, it's challenging just because I, I think that's what makes the job interesting. For sure. And there's not a day when I was the colonel that there wasn't something different happening. Sure. Um, and it could be something you wouldn't even expect. Yeah. But you just, uh, you, you're just, I guess, never surprised. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, 
I'd be lying if I said that I did. There's not part of me that got, if not a big part of me that got into this because it's like, what am I capable of? Like, what kind of challenges can I overcome? Like, you kind of want to push yourself and find out there's something special about that calling of law enforcement. It's like, yeah, let me, the big bad guy, let's figure it out. Let's mm-hmm. see what I can do. So I think that's probably something that's, maybe that's why it's so attractive to hear these stories and be like, oh man, I wonder if I could do that. Because like, that sounds really hard. <laughs> his, his wife is going to listen to this and absolutely freak She's out. have a conniption, but it's, Alaska's beautiful, babe. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I don't know, that's, it's really admirable to think about the guys that go out there and do that. Absolutely. Do you have a lot of guys come from the lower 48 to become troopers? Or are they people and do that they live stay? And stay? Yeah, and that's, that's the big problem. You know, when I joined the department and went to the academy, we were all Alaskans. Sure. And pretty much our whole focus was Alaska hire, if you want to call it that. Alaska's really big on Alaska hire, especially right. since from pipeline within. days. Right, yeah. um, However, over the years, that's changed, and a lot of times our over our half our class or even more will be from out of, out of state, wow. um, not living from Alaska. And we've got some outstanding troopers, mm-hmm. um, but we do have some turnaround. Usually what happens is either they have a relative, their mom or dad, get sick or something they need to go down or the, the grand grandparents want to see the kids so that they end up going and then our our wages wasn't um, keeping up with the rest of the world the mm-hmm. troopers we were about middle in the state of alaska we've certainly gotten that up um to now we're essentially the highest we're right with the anchorage police department but so we were having a lot of our troopers go down to um king county and washington more sheriff's department areas yeah yeah because yeah, okay. they were getting more pay because cost of living is pretty high it is it, it is, is it really yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'd always heard that the, but what i in my mind, is the middle of nowhere. You imagine it. Well, that's why. But think about the logistics of trying to. Oh, like you're saying, power, yeah, water, it, yeah, right. yeah, everything, you go food, to, everything. To uh, to our villages, and a gallon of milk could be ten dollars. Good if, lord, and it's not going to be fresh. It's a good thing I don't so, like milk. Uh, I was looking at your bananas, which isn't a big deal here. They were like forty nine cents. We pay ninety seven cents, and I live kind of in an urban area now, wow. so. Uh, what about the price of gas up there, though? You Do y'all know, right? usually get it greatly reduced? No, we don't. Um, and, but this is a, we were paying two thirty four when I left, which is pretty good. That's, yeah, and uh, I just paid one ninety five here at Costco, which is the yeah. best I've seen it yeah. in a long time. But Costco Alabama sponsors. actually at one point had it down to a dollar a gallon in some places. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's um. Well, that's it's, what it was over in Texas when I went there a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It was like one fourteen in El Paso. You'd think they could just tap into that pipeline. And just... Yeah, yeah. Well, we do get Alaska North Slope and and refine it there, but it's still there's still a cost. Yeah, jeez. And um, well, I have to ask too because it's something we have focused on in some some of our podcasts. Um, talk to us about the suicide in law enforcement in Alaska. Do you think it's is it very high? Did you see a lot of that? with your troopers or even local police killing themselves? You know, no, I, I don't think it, I mean, I didn't have one in my, my department while I was there, nor do I have known one. I, I wouldn't say it's really high. High. I will say, though, um, one of the things that I focused that when I came back was um, wellness for uh-huh. troopers, especially mental health wellness. Good. Um, right. Right when I got there, I was dealing with a person that was having um, issues just dealing with, he was out in one of the rural areas dealing with all the sexual assaults that he was investigating yeah. and um, all the family violence he was seeing in, sure. in the villages. And it it um, took its toll. It took its toll on yeah. him. And eventually he had to 
resigned. The, the sad part about his thing is that the workers' comp wouldn't cover that. And so one of my focuses from that time on was, you know, mental health um, wellness. And one of the things I did is, because there's still that stigma. It doesn't oh, yes. matter, especially with our older command staff that I kind of inherited. So, you know, if an individual needed help, you know, they knew that they could get a hold of me, my secretary, or my HR person. Good and I would you. fly them in for, and their command staff would not know about it on his Good days for off. You. And, um, and there'd be no questions asked. The, 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 the cost of that would all come out of my budget. And so nobody else would see it. And just Gosh, can we to, clone you to come down yeah, here and just, go to work? <laughs> you know, one of the, and and then we also, you know, we 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 had kind of an ad hoc cert team, a crisis intern, um, but it really wasn't viable when I got there, and and it was so stuck in the bureaucracy sure. with the with again some of my command staff, and I, you know this has got to end. Um, Good for you. And like say as the colonel um the helicopter crash just happened and so i kind of in, walked in here that yeah, not only the investigation by ntsb but just the fallout mm-hmm. and just simple things you wouldn't think about like our new helicopter came in fairly quickly the replacement mm-hmm. we we ended up getting it within a month or two just the naming of that helicopter because the one that crashed killed the trooper and our, our pilot um was Hela one so our commissioner at the time was going to name that one Hilo one too, right. and oh, that no, caused no, all no, kinds no. of problems. So I'm <laughs> sitting there, the helicopters at right there at headquarters, right? right? And we got the press there, and so one of the reporters says, "Well, what do you got to name this? What what the call sign for this one? So this is going to be Hilo two. Yeah. And of course, yeah. the commissioner sees it on Channel Two News. Yeah. And, <laughs> and now night, you've made a decision without him, right? <laughs> but he went with it. I yeah. think he realized. Yeah, Hilo one. That would not have been a good idea. Those things you don't think about. Right. And, um, you know, the because the trooper that was Tage um, Toll that was killed, he, he came from a, a small post in Telkeetna, and those troopers were affected. Sure. The dispatchers, sure. you know, that we were, we actually dispatched through a, a lease, so it wasn't our dispatch. So all these folks were, were affected, but the department did, didn't handle it. And so that, you know, so stepping in as a new colonel, I came in with wow. a clean s- slate, sure. so so I didn't have that fence that was the right. other colonel had because they felt he mishandled it, and whether he did or not, I'm I'm not sure. going to judge that. Right, sure. But I certainly learned from that situation, sure. And how and um, which again helped helped you know several months later when we had two troopers ambushed in yeah. at a in one of our villages out of Fairbanks. But you just don't prepare yourself for that. I don't care. Yeah. No. And especially we just don't. In Alaska, we just hadn't lost that many all at once. We also lost the BPSO at the same time, same time frame. Wow. Um, so you know, I got with the Marshal Service. They're very proactive when it comes to that. Yes. We sent several of our troopers, and I even allowed some of our administrative staff to go to to their training for they could, because that's another thing we don't factor in. You know, mm-hmm. we. we provide the support for our law enforcement officers we don't the the support staff well they're dealing with these guys or yeah. gals it's the same in a different level Absolutely. but they're 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 every it's family day. they are yeah, exactly. yes. they, they go to their christmas party they're yep. doing reviewing their reports um or in their uniforms whatever else they're doing same sure. with our our dispatchers and our dispatch centers um we just we forget that sometimes we focus yeah. again on on one thing 
And um, Yeah, that's real important. I'm glad to hear you say that. And I hope there's some administrators listening to this because they ain't going to listen to you and me because no. we don't know anything. But you've got a, a an experienced trooper here who then who was raised in a law enforcement family, who then was colonel. Um, you know, I run the or Under the Shield has the largest peer support team in the state of Alabama. We're the most utilized. And it's really sad that even now, after 25 years of that team being up and running, we try to make sure dispatch is always included. You know, families is something else under the shield really focuses on because families are part of this. This is a lifestyle. This isn't a keep it all separate. I wish we could, but we can't. And so all, you know, families are very impacted by all of these things too. And then when you're talking about a state the size of Alaska, but a family that small, you know, that's, that's a very, very small agency um, with the troopers. Yeah. And it's like when um, Marshall got on with DEA in 1984, and DEA was an agency at that time of something like less than 3,000 agents worldwide in 32 countries. So when things happened, we were all impacted whether we knew the agent or not. Right. And then you think about these situations, and that's, that's hard on everybody. It's hard on you as the colonel. I used to tell chiefs and sheriffs, too, you know, it's lonely at the top. You guys need somebody to talk to also. And, you know, what advice do you have, mainly for us at Under the Shield, too? You know, we're still 28 years old, and we're still struggling to get chiefs and sheriffs and departments to let us come in. You know, one of the things that I get frustrated by is, you know, you guys are experts at law enforcement. We're experts at mental health and mental wellness in law enforcement. And it, it's like we can't let outsiders come in and help. Any, any advice on how we can make this happen in talking with a colonel over a state police or a chief or a sheriff? Well, I don't know about it, but I, I also want to um, plug Oklahoma because state troopers, because they really helped us too. Yes, they, they have a great program there uh, so in peer support. So with the Marshall Service, they were able to yes. put something together for me in Fairbanks. But I think, you know, I think we owe an obligation to our officers Mm -hmm. that we provide the best training, not only the training, you know, how to deal with um, conflict, de-escalation, all that, but we also have to, we have an obligation for their health. It doesn't mean just, I mean, their physical health. Yes. And, you know, that's another thing when I left troopers and came back, I mean, we didn't even have a physical fitness program. So I instituted that again. Wow. I think now it's not in anymore, but um, but I think we owe it to our 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 troopers, our dispatchers, and our our employees to give them the best available support we can. Sure. And and that should be a sacred obligation that we give our agencies. Yes. Uh, because they're the ones that are out there every day, um, facing the issues that they're facing yes. and seeing the worst of the worst, right? Sure. And getting scrutinized. And, Everything that we do in law enforcement now is scrutinized. Everybody's got a camera, right, yes. with their phones, and and um, and they just can't run um, to the press or or, or, or whatever. Right. And it just makes it a lot more difficult. And you know, I I was old school at one point in time in, in my career, and and I think I came full circle again once I took the job that I I had because I didn't realize what the colonel Matt till I actually took that job and mm-hmm. what I'm it sure. represented and it certainly didn't match my personality. I had to certainly, um, 
go outside my comfort zone to when I, I took the job and I was kind of thrust in it, you know, between our budget cuts and our, our uh, on duty lot, um, loss of lives. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and that I had to, um, it certainly again, challenged me. Um, I, I won't, uh, there's not a thing I wouldn't take back. I would say though, on, on dealing with family or, law enforcement officers or families in crisis, if you think you should do it, do it. Because yes. you can't redo it afterwards. Right. And, and I realize, because when I think back at some of the, my interactions and stuff, I, I held back and I shouldn't have. And yeah. I know that with one of the families that, that you know, his son was killed in our ambush, I, after all the, because I, I attended all the trials, sentencing hearings. Wow. And, and all that for the for for that case but i i went and apologized to one of the families i just didn't think i was there for for that family and for the um for the mom and dad yeah and i still um regret regret that well you know and i've shared this story on the podcast before but i taught um i've taught several times for the border patrol the yuma sector and the first time i was down there of course i go in and you know it's probably a hundred of them in this room and Here's this crazy woman that can barely understand because we've got this language barrier of this southern accent. And um, and I came in and I asked him, I said, how many of you have had a stress management class? A few hands went up and I said, um, so tell me what you learned. And they all got that deer in the headlights look, couldn't tell me anything. And I asked the question, I said, well, let me ask you this. How many of you went to an academy and they issued you a firearm? And now they're looking at me like, does she know who we are and what we do? And every hand went up. And I asked a guy on the front row, I said, um, uh, did they teach you how to clean and maintain that firearm? And they're all nodding their heads. And I looked at the guy on the front and I said, why'd they have to teach you that? And he said, you know, because it could malfunction or misfire. And I said, you're right. I said, but if I take that firearm and I set it on this desk for the next eight hours, what's it going to do? And he goes, not a damn thing. And I said, what determines if that gun's used properly? And he said, the person that picks it up. And I said, so let me get this straight. We spent a lot of time in academies teaching you how to clean and maintain all your equipment, but the person behind the firearm, the taser, the baton, the vehicle, all that stuff, we don't spend much time teaching you how to maintain yourself. And the assistant chief of the sector got up and walked out, and I thought, well, I guess I won't be back at Border Patrol. (laughs) And he came back at lunch, and he goes, that was a brilliant analogy, Susan. And uh, I said, I thought I made you mad. And he said, no, we have you in the budget for the next few years. And I thought, you know, I'm just this little common sense. I've never been a cop. I do carry a gun everywhere I go, um, only because I learned that a long time ago when my children's lives were threatened. But, you know, some of this is common sense stuff. And I think my frustration comes in with I find sometimes at the top, I think they're almost afraid to admit there's a problem. But we can't deal with what we don't admit to. And when suicides are as high as they are nationally, and they are, 2020 has been an interesting year because the numbers are way down, knock on wood. Um, but when we've had them in the past at the level and the number that I see here in the office and that call our crisis line, you know, it's something we have to, we have to deal with. And uh, as I was sharing this story before we went on air, I was teaching at a conference someplace, Washington State or someplace, and course there was a a bar involved with all the participants there and there were some Alaska state troopers there and I went up and you know I'm trying to impress them with who I know you know (laughs) and I'm talking about my part-time neighbor and his son being the colonel and they're like oh Jim Cockrell and I said yeah and they 
could not say enough. I mean, they were pulling other Alaska troopers. There was probably maybe four or five, which is shocking now to think about four or five of them being at a conference. That's like 30% of your exactly. people. Man, Alaska <laughs> had no law enforcement at that time. but um, And they were pulling the others over and, and telling them that I knew him. And, you know, sitting here with you, because obviously you and I have only recently really met, and um, hearing what you're saying, I understand now why the guys were so pro talking about you because I don't hear that very often at conferences you know sometimes they'll blow a little smoke and say it because they're afraid it'll get back to their boss but the truth is you are a very unique administrator Um, and I've dealt with quite a few around the country again doing this 28 years and traveling Um, it, it is very refreshing to know that at least for a while until you retired the Alaska troopers had uh, what I would deem to be an outstanding leader in you, that you cared about your people. It wasn't just a job. When you tell me that you had something set up that they could call you personally and you would get them where they needed to go without anybody else knowing, uh, I encourage all administrators that might be listening or people who may wind up in an administrative position, take that same philosophy because we could make a huge difference in law enforcement in mental wellness and in the families and in divorces and all of the negative things that we see that are not because we've got bad people. They're not. They're people stressed over this lifestyle that we probably haven't prepared the best to do this job. And then academies are still teaching, keep personal and professional separate. I have them sit on my couch every week, Jim, and the wife will say, he doesn't talk to me about this job. And I'll look at him and go, why not? They told me not to. I'm telling you, you have to. Yeah. You, know, you have to give blood and gory details, but you got to give them something. And so it's very refreshing to have, um, I'm sorry to hear you retired, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out how we can get you elected down here. Um, I think it's time. guy a break. <laughs> <laughs> He's had a break. He's had three years. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of law enforcement out there right now going, Man, I could use a I could use a supervisor like that with that attitude, and yeah, so I, think, I want to commend you for that. Well, thank you, very I, humbling. Yeah, it's I I agree with what she's saying about looking out for your people. I th- I think that there's something to I don't know maybe it's a conversation worth having of when officers first get into the job. I know for me, I'm I'm barely gonna touch four years. He's to, baby of my He's higher baby day, right? So like I've I've been on the road for three years, so. And so, yeah, like she said, that's not a lot of time. I haven't seen everything. Um, We play a lot at my department, so I get to go around and, you know, poke around at people and bother the bad guys. But I I noticed just as early as I am in my career with and I'm, I was at the very beginning of a huge hiring wave. So I have a bunch of artificial seniority. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like the most senior guy on my squad. And it it doesn't really make any sense because we all got hired within the same year. But all these new guys that are coming on like me. Uh, we we kind of learn, I think it's maybe it's here, maybe it was our academy, I'm not really sure, but there's a mentality where it's like all my needs, everything that I'm about for me gets pushed aside because there's a job that needs to get done. There's there's people that need to get taken care of, crimes that need figuring out, bad guys that need chasing, whatever it is, there's, there's a lot of sacrificing to do. And I look around at my guys and it is rare that I can find a person who does not seem happy to make that sacrifice. Uh, right there, there are a couple career guys in there where it's like, cause I'm at a well-paying department. So y- you get the badge and you get a nice paycheck. So of course you're going to have people that are like that, but I think that's anywhere. Right. And I, I feel like these guys 
forget how to take care of themselves or they figure that it's that's that's the job we just we put that aside so for the leadership to step in and to look out for these guys and to check in with them and to make sure hey it still is important for you to take care of yourselves it's like i tell the guys that i talk to or here on the show i've said it like you've you've lost the right to not take care of yourself to some degree right mentally and physically completely agree with you if you're not mentally or physically fit you're not going to be able to perform the way you want to perform I want to be able to go out there and solve things and help people and be able to chase people. And if I'm getting hurt mentally or physically, I'm not at my, at my prime, right? Like I have my wrist hurt right now and now I can't go into work. So my guys are working without me and that, that sucks. So I'm texting them all the time, right. <laughs> checking on like, Hey, if anything happened, of course, the first night I'm out, there was a shooting. So it's, it's crazy, but we, we absolutely need the people that decide to promote, um, to understand that it's a different responsibility, right? It's not just an, a pay increase. It's you it's take a responsibility on, increase. Yeah. And the pay compensates for all that extra crap you have to deal with. You hope. And barely. <laughs> you hope. Barely, I'm sure. Yeah. So it, I don't know. I feel like that's so important for them to learn. And I, I just don't feel like we teach that or something. Is, so is that something when you moved up into leadership, were you trained how to be a leader or was it something that you just kind of figured out as you went? Did you have good examples? How did you figure out how to get where you went? Well, I think, first of all, I think you get your, a lot of your, if you want to call it, I, I don't want to consider myself a leader. But <laughs> oh, I think you're definitely a leader. Uh, a leadership position. I think a lot of that is what, what you see. And I always looked at the leaders that i didn't respect yes and, and said i got to do better i'll that. be the other the yeah, other guy gotta, i gotta yeah. do better than that i did go to the fbi academy i was fortunate to go to the na and i think that um that's outstanding you know, primo um for for leadership and i yeah sent as many people as i could as the colonel to continue that that process I, yeah that's I, outstanding because again you know the troopers we were looking at kind of a leadership draw because we were starting to again lose retire have some of our um senior leaders sure. um, retire i probably hastened a couple of those <laughs> um, you, know, you know i think you know when you get into into leadership and i wasn't really in a huge agency you know 300 commission and i have about 50 cso's and i think i had totally about 450 employees so it's not as big as like the chief, I can't imagine the chief of police of Phoenix or the sheriff. Yeah, or, with almost 3,000, yeah. <laughs> and I look at the personnel issues and stuff that I had to deal with that, that, that must multiply them. But, you know, again, when I looked at when I came back to, to the troopers, it seemed like there was a distrust of headquarters. And sure. that, that was my number one goal at the time. I needed to fix that. And there's ways to do that. And I don't think there was anybody doing anything bad. They were just out of touch of yep. what the mm-hmm. field was doing, I felt. Sure. And they felt Trooper Nation went through them. And I yep. always felt Trooper Nation came through all our troopers in the field. Yes. Our job as administrators is to support our staff. Our, They'll either our, make you look good or bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you can, you'll never be able to go on cruise control in this agent with these type yeah. of jobs. But, right. Um, if you give them the tools and support that they need, yes. um, they'll go out and do the job and they'll, they're, they'll be happier to do it. And sure. And we have less, less issues. Um, Was your dad, I don't remember. Now, did your dad work up through the ranks also, or did he remain a, a no, road he, trooper or what did he I, retired as a lieutenant? Okay. So you had some, um, 
mentorship from your dad even. So then. I always have to give him a hard time. I, I got a little bit more rank than he does. I love that. <laughs> you know, and there's little things you can do. Of course, again, I'm dealing with an agency that has troopers from all over mm-hmm. the state. Sure. So one of the things I I didn't I asked them if they came to Anchorage or came to headquarters, they had to come see me. Nice. Just to say hi. Nice. And all they had to do was talk to the secretary, and she would pull me out of a meeting with a phone call, and I'd come and spend five Good to ten minutes, or sometimes longer than that. Good. And it didn't matter if it was a trooper or a sergeant or a CSO um, or a VPSO. Mm-hmm. They didn't come to headquarters very much. But this is one of the things I wanted to do. Uh, first of all, I, for I can remember them. And, yes. Um, and then I traveled to all our posts. I made a point to travel to all our posts at least once or twice a year. And Good. I had the means to do it, you know, mm-hmm. with, the, with the King Air, I could get there and then spend quality time. I went out on patrols out in the bush with them. I went to the valley nice. and conducted patrols with, with the troopers there. And yeah. I just told them, keep me out of trouble. And, you know, I'm not going to make <laughs> Don't get decisions. me in a shooting. That's right. Um, <laughs> just do your job. Sure. And, and, and like, and I always told the troopers, I get the most comment, you know, People expect law enforcement to go solve a burglary, um, go catch a robber, a sex offender. Um, but they don't expect the little things that we do that go kind yes. of unnoticed. The trooper yep. might not even remember. And I'll get, get a note back or someone will call me up and say, you know, your trooper talked to my kids. They took their picture at the gas station while he was gassing up his car. Mm-hmm. The trooper stopped while I had a flat tire and, you know, helped us change the tire. It's those little things that we do day to day that most yes. people like I say the police officer doesn't even realize it but the public that stands back into that person yes and those are the compliments I usually get again because they expect us to make the big cases you know yeah. go catch a murder or something how did you pass that back to the trooper if you'd get a, a note saying they took their picture with my kid and it thrilled them how would you pass that back to the trooper you know I usually would call them Good for you. you know, I also had a coin. You know, I'd watch our, all our press releases and stuff around the state, our commissioner notifications. If there was something that they did really good, I had a card. I'd write them, personally write them a card. And I and if it, depending on what it was, I, I'd send a, a coin nice. from our office yeah. there. And I gave my whole command staff that same thing. I mean, here's the coins if they... If you guys or if you see some good work out there, let's recognize it. And and then I'd go through. I'd have a phone book list of all my sergeants in the state, and I try to call them once a month, just kind of out of the blue. Yeah. Because I get so frustrated hearing chiefs and sheriffs and people at the top, and I'll make a comment about something positive that the one of their people did, and they'll go, "Well, I pay them to do a good job." Wrong answer. You know, there's nothing wrong with a pat on the back every now and then, too. You know, just, again, that probably meant more to them than anything else you could have done. They don't want to be called into a big ceremony or anything. Just an acknowledgement. Yeah, and and you're right. Most most police officers, they don't want a a lot of pomp and circumstance but if you can just personally touch them yes i think it goes goes a long way some will be receptive and a few won't be but sure you still got to make that absolutely because i think i think we all agree at the beginning when we sign up for it it's a thankless job we play by unfair rules (laughs) it's like it it's all the crappy stuff but it's like hey at the end yeah maybe you die a hero it's like okay well all right Right. gotta do the right thing or whatever your motivation is right like but i think we all know regardless of why you got into it we don't we don't show up to scenes to be thanked and hugged after we solve the problem. We solve the problem, then we disappear, and the people still have to deal with whatever but they have to deal with. I think the thing to take 
take with you is though we made a difference. Yes. It doesn't matter, you know, what the circumstances is, but we made a difference in that person's life. And most of the time, um, we, we did it in a positive way. Yeah. And I think we lose that, and and that's what I would tell our, you know, tell the troopers we're making a difference every day yes. in Alaska. I absolutely agree, and I and I've seen guys with a couple more years than me that I'm really close to. I've seen them kind of get consumed by the thanklessness of it, where they're just like, man, it doesn't matter. Like, we go, we do our thing, and we disappear. Like nobody cares about me. Like, well, and they totally believe that no one, command staff included, care about them. And I. In some ways, with some of these guys, I get it because they go unspoken to, unappreciated by everyone, by the by the people they help. But they, they get more positive reinforcement from the people they arrest because they're just not all amped up. They're like, I've seen it all, whatever. Hey, turn around. And they make more friends going to jail than they do in admin or at these people's houses. And it's, I, I can completely understand how we can lose these guys to that mentality if you don't keep up with them. But I gotta, I've got to jump in here now because you think your job's thankless. Try being the spouse. <laughs> because I, and, and again, the, these are, are stories I share for people listening to make note and never let this happen again. But I know Marshall got the very first award um, that was given out by the U.S. Attorney's Office there in Montgomery. And I forgot what they even called it, but he was he was officer, agent, whatever of the year. And we went down to a conference down the Gulf Coast. And we knew he was up for it, but we didn't know. And anyway, the banquet was that night. And for whatever reason, spouses were not allowed or invited to the banquet. They let me sit in a hotel room with room service. While my husband got that award, and I I don't know that I've ever been more hurt or angrier than I was then because this was a situation where my children's lives were jeopardized. We sacrificed holidays, and the fact that they couldn't even, and they knew I was there because I registered with them, but the fact they could not even invite me into an award ceremony that he was getting was probably one of the most difficult things I really and truly dealt with other than my the situation with my kids but just the fact that that you know I would be shoved aside from it yeah unnoticed absolutely Mm -hmm. and you want to talk about thankless and feeling worthless and you know and the U.S. attorney saw me later he knew how and everybody believe you me everybody knew how upset Susan was (laughs) and Marshall was Marshall was afraid to come back to the room with the award even (laughs) and um we thought you'd kill him yeah there was no I mean it wasn't his fault but there was no there was never an acknowledgement and families have to be able to be proud because we can't run around here I couldn't run around and talk about the the cases he was working and the things he had done and so there needs to be something for families, some type of acknowledgement for families. Yeah. And that it, it's tough. And so that's something else we're trying to bring to light it under the shield by including families in our trainings. And um, so, you know, uh, I'd, I'd love to get to Alaska. Would they let me do a ride along up there if I ever got up there? They probably would let oh, you do that. Yes, I, I see my next trip. <laughs> Videotape that, please. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to see the Northern Lights. I keep telling your parents I'm coming up there to visit sometime, and well, I want to see the Northern Lights. I think but. an overarching theme we keep touching on with the leadership th- stuff that you learned when you uh, basically adopted all that uh, burden when you became, um, was it Colonel? Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about 
how the spouses and the families go unnoticed and how I was saying how officers feel like they go unnoticed or unappreciated. I, I think the overarching thing there is we need to pay attention to ourselves and what we need and our people around us and make sure everybody's getting taken care of. Yes. Because when it, I, I liked what you said before, it's like you can't just go on cruise control in leadership because I, I feel like in some ways, because down here, I'll just speak for my own department, which again, unnamed. And these are my own views, not my department's views. But I feel like it's easier down here with all the resources we have, even when we complain about how few resources we have, (laughs) because we have a lot of resources, how it's easy to get complacent with kind of everything. Or if you're in a department that doesn't see a lot of uh, violence against their officers, or you have a small department, like I work for a relatively small department, it I'm going to compare it to yours, but it, it's it was it's a little smaller than the state troopers, and it's a significantly smaller area, so we're a lot more dense than, than you guys would have been. But, I mean, at, at any one time, we have four or five officers on, six if we're lucky, uh, on, a, on a shift um, for the whole area, for our, our whole department. But you have MCSO backup, you have state trooper backup, you have Scottsdale yeah, backup, can, you have right, we can lots call of things people. to pull from. Right. Yes. So we, we feel like a small department, and I feel like because it's not crazy busy, um, like there's enough time for me to go and do all my, my own initiative on chasing stuff down, doing investigations. That's not normal. Like if you go to Phoenix and they're a cop there, they don't have time to just go around and poke around and look for things. They're called to call to call to call, right? That's, and I'm sure that's probably how it is there with the lag time between areas. But it, I think it's easy for people to forget that their guys need them. Like we, for all command staff that I work for, cause you know who I am, even though I go by this alias you you know who i am because i made you very nervous when i started a podcast yes. we we need you we need like we may talk our crap about leadership um i i don't know if it's resentment or jealousy or anger all of it i don't know it but we talk our crap but in the end we need you guys it, without you we don't have the resources we need to do our job and we appreciate when you guys step in and make us feel noticed like we exist, like we're doing something right. Cause it's, it's way easier for y'all to walk around and go wrong boots, fix those or fix your uniform, your gig lines off or whatever. It's easy for you to walk around. Like I'm a parent. I know it's easy to walk around and find them doing something wrong. Cause that's what we do all the time. We're children. Well, and in our supervisor training, we actually have a training at under the shield called why good cops make bad decisions. And it's teaching supervisors to look for early warning signs. And one of the things I encourage um, supervise. If you want to be a good leader, the question you should ask your people every day, what can I do for you? Because that's why you're in that leadership role. You can get things done that they can't do. Yeah. And that should be the first question every single shift at every briefing. And you start doing things like that and you're going to suddenly no longer be a supervisor, but a leader. And that there is a very distinct difference. hundred percent true. And, you know, Jim, I, I can't thank you enough for taking this time out to do this podcast with us. You're, you're here on vacation and I drag you <laughs> next door <laughs> to come do this. Um, but I can ultimately say this, that you are the epitome of a leader. You were not just a supervisor. And I'm sure you were probably that way all the way through. And I can see that a lot of that too probably came from your dad, knowing your dad like I do. Um, Jim's parents are like God or grandparents to my dog. My German shepherd (laughs) loves them more than me. And she hates it when they're not in town. Um, But 
I think that you have given some great insight and a lot of knowledge to people that have absolutely no idea what Alaska troopers go through because it's it's a different world world. it's a very different world and um you know any way when you get back up there if you see that there's anything we can ever do um I'm sure you still have connections to the top of any of the agencies and stuff or any of the troopers um you know please feel free to give them our we've got an 855 number that's all over our Facebook and our website that troopers and families uh police officers anybody in law enforcement can call us 24 7 we never ask their name. We never ask where they're from. As a matter of fact, when they call the 855 number, it routes to the office in Mesa. And that's the number that shows up on our phones. And uh, we're all stress coaches in that we've either done it, been married to it, raised by it, or given birth to it. So there's real life experience there. And they're all through a 40-hour certification that I teach. And um, so uh, it sounds like that's something they could definitely use up there. <laughs> And again, uh, we just can't thank you enough for your service, first of all, and for the leadership role you played for so many troopers and um, for your service there in Alaska. And again, thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for letting us crack you open. Yes. And this is our (laughs) this is our podcast number 12. Yeah. Gosh, can't believe it. And uh, but anyway, God bless all of you out there. Thank you for what you do, your mm-hmm. service and your sacrifice. And that goes for the families as well. And we'll look forward to you being here next week for next week. Maybe we won't do podcast 13 in the year 2020. Let's skip the number 13. Don't want to risk it. I think we'll go to 14. <laughs> all right. And I, th- I think we left off on a good place with, um, if we don't already have a topic, I know we didn't talk about one, so I'll, I'll just drop a bomb on you. Here we go. Okay. I'll pick for you. I, I like the idea of talking about dealing with issues with your leadership, learning yes. how to do that in a healthy way, because yes. I've definitely tried it in a destructive way. Okay. Um, didn't go well. So, no, it, uh, it doesn't usually when you're very confrontational. That's why I work for me, Ace. Have you not learned that lesson? Yeah, I need to figure out how to work for me and still be a cop. I fire myself um, periodically and then the phone <laughs> rings and I have to rehire me because there's nobody else to answer it. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that and give sure. you guys some good uh, tools on how to deal with some issues you might be having with your leadership, how to communicate properly. And we're going to drag Jim's dad, Bob, into this one day. They're here oh, coming great. in next week and we're going to drag him in here one day. We'll just make the whole family uncomfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again, Jim. Appreciate you. Thanks, Jim. All right, guys. We love you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.